Hello, welcome to the Knowing God podcast. My name is Becca. And I'm David. And our mission here is to know God more and to make him known to others. Um, So this is part two of Mormonism, our episodes on Mormonism. And last episode, we talked about a lot of things, but we started out with David, David's conversation he had with some Mormon missionaries literally that day right before we recorded. Um, so, David, do you have any more details on that? Do you have any updates? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, right before the last podcast, we had two Mormon missionaries knock on our door who lived just right down the street from us. Um, and it was actually just a really funny and just ironic thing. Uh, but as I was talking to them, uh, as my wife and I were talking to them, we were just, you know, talking about a lot of things, which, you know, we talked about in the last podcast. But one of the things that I realized as I was looking, listening back to um, our last pro- podcast is I feel like there was kind of a difference between. So I'm going to call one of them uh, Bob and the other one. I don't want to give away their name. So I'm going to call one of them Bob and I'm going to call one of them um, Jerry. Um, so sounds good. So Bob, uh, was kind of the one that I was mostly talking to who kind of had the more interesting views. And I think Bob, it's not that he would like be considered like a heretic in the realm of like Mormonism, but I would say that his views or the way that he at least worded his, um, beliefs about Mormonism were a little bit different than how I've heard it from pretty much any other Mormon missionary or other Mormons that I've talked to. Um, and then Jerry, I felt like had a pretty classical Mormon view. Um, so, but it, as we were doing the podcast, we were kind of talking about more of the classical Mormon view, but kind of bringing in the conversation that I had with Bob and Jerry kind of messed it up a little bit. <laughs> like, I think, right. like, I don't want to say messed it up, but it kind of confused it or blurred the lines between like what classical Mormonism teaches and kind of what, you know, Bob was talking about. So, I mean, there's definitely parts of it, you know, like their view on God and the idea of intelligences, but like some of the things about like God being the first to achieve Godhood out of all those intelligences, things like that. I, I've talked to other Mormons and seen in some literature that they believe that God did have a God of his planet. So like there was some disagreement in what he was saying to what I've actually read and heard other Mormons say. So I kind of wanted to, but before I talk about what's what's new about the new like the new Mormons, like or details on like the missionaries, I kind of wanted to address that that there's kind of a little bit of a discrepancy, but nothing crazy, but just a little bit, so that way people don't go around if they talk to a Mormon, they'd be like, "You believe that Elohim was the first God to achieve Godhood?" Not all, not all Mormons would believe that, so right. just wanted to kind of clarify some of that. But and I will say. That's partly due to some of their doctrines, like this confusion is a semi-theme in the church, and we'll get into that more later. And, well, there's a thing, there's a thing, James White, if you guys, we'll talk about resources, about, if you guys want to learn more about Mormonism, but James White is definitely one that I recommend, and just apology to church. But one of the things that they talk about is, James White says this, this isn't my quote, but if Joseph Smith had lived another three years, Mormonism would have never really been as big as it is right now because his doctrine kind of changed. Like mm-hmm. the, this idea of like 
eternal progression, like becoming a god. That that wasn't actually in the Book of Mormon. That kind of came later on in his like life. His theology started evolving to more stuff. And so I think that he died so kind of abruptly that some of it didn't really get worked out super well and people were trying to kind of try to pick up on it. And so it kind of makes it a lot of it up for interpretation. So you do have some discrepancy with Mormons like that. Um, Is kind of as I've been doing more research because I was a little confused as talking to them. So, and one of the things that was interesting, so I actually, uh, my pastor, uh, my my pastor David, what's up, giving you a little shout out. uh, And I now know whether he listened to this podcast because I'll be like, oh, I, yeah. I really liked your shout out in my podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good, good name. But good name. Yeah, good name. <laughs> it's a great name. Um, yeah, no, actually, he totally listens to the podcast. He he compliments me every time. He he'll, he'll be like, oh, I listen to the podcast. I really I really enjoyed. So, so sweet. that was just well, yeah, he's a really nice guy. But him and I, I, I talked to him. I'm really close with him. So I talked to him kind of about talking to these missionaries and was like, hey, I really want to meet with him again. Would you want to come with me and talk to them? Um, and he was like, absolutely. So went to Chipotle and got some, uh, uh, we went to Chipotle one night and got just got to chat with them and Bob and Jerry and really kind of realized that our differences really kind of all point back to how do we know what we know? Like, mm-hmm. and what's our authority? Really just what's our authority? And so with them... I think we kind of realized it's kind of feelings and I'm not trying to be like, this isn't pejorative. Like I'm not trying to insult them, but it genuinely was like feelings. And for us, it's God's eternal, perfect word. Um, It's scripture because we kind of got into the idea that like we even, I mean, they were even openly saying, yeah, like, you know, the church has talked about polygamy or uh, black people not being able to inherit the priesthood but then it's kind of changed. And so we kind of talked about like, what's the test of a true prophet? And as we were going through these things, it was kind of evident that we were like, oh, you're being dismissive of scripture because you don't actually view scripture in a high regard. So mm-hmm. it kind of all pointed back to that. So like one of them, I even asked him, was like, okay, well, like, how do you know what's from God and what's not? Because they were saying that, you know, a prophet could speak on behalf of God, I'm using quotation marks and, you know, like the little quotation mark fingers, but Mm -hmm. like on behalf of God, but be, but like be wrong or speaking actually as a man. Like they're saying they're speaking from God, but they're actually just speaking as a man. And I was like, well, how do you determine that? And they said, oh, well, by its fruit, which, and this is the thing with like, like we were talking about this on the first podcast, they use a lot of the same language, but they mean very different things. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, but also as you're reading actually the Bible, um, in the Gospels, it actually says, "Keep." I think it's I think it's John the Baptist. I, I'll have to fact check me if you guys are listening. But it talks about like to keep bearing fruit in repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, Jesus says, like you know, you will know them by their fruit, right? So in the context of the Gospels, he's actually talking like within that context it's very clear that although the fruit of the spirit is also important and that is also how you can tell whether somebody's from god repentance is also just as important are they turning you to the true god yes and with that like the 
the fruits, I believe, like those fruits that we were talking about come from a repentant heart. That's like, it's like proof of a repentant heart. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't have those fruits outside of a relationship with Christ. And you can't have a relationship with Christ outside of repenting, like turning from your sinful way into Christ. So really, like, that's the only way that you can. So that there's the difference there in like the fruit. Um, but to them, they would say it doesn't make you feel like bad. Like, you know, like, does it bring on negative emotions? Does it kind of make you feel icky? Which is a really flawed, I'm going to say epistemology, which for those of you who don't know, epistemology is just theory of knowledge. So like, how do you know what you know? It's a very flawed epistemology because then people's emotions or people react differently to the same thing. You know, people's emotions, sometimes right. people are really not phased by super negative things happening in their lives. Or sometimes, you know, as you know, you might be reading the gospel and to one person they might say, you know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And to me, I read that and I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, the, amen, hallelujah. So to me, in, in their epistemology, that means it's good fruit. It's bringing on good fruit. But then another person can go read that and be like, oh, that makes me super mad. Why would Jesus say that he's the only way? So then in their epistemology, we're, we can both say, like, I can say, oh, it's from God because it's bearing good fruit. But then they could say, oh, it's not from God because it's bearing bad fruit. So, you know, it's a flawed right. epistemology when two people can come to two very different conclusions. Like, it's just, it's very, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's kind of why, as we were pressing them on that, we were kind of realizing, like, oh, like, that's kind of why there's, like, a huge difference in our theology and how they interpret the bible things like that and there's other things of like just we were talking about the idea of original sin because they don't believe in original sin and so you know one of them even said he was like bob was like i don't think that following god's law is even that hard like i'm not going around murdering people or like like committing sexual immorality like and i'm like you don't get it like you have like the sermon on the mount is like you say you know, you haven't murdered anybody, but I, I say if you've even hated anybody in your heart, you know, you've committed murder, right? Um, if you've hated somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. And so there's that difference. And we were kind of talking to him and even quoting James, uh, like the book of James, where it's like, if you've even broken one law, you've broken the whole thing. And it was funny because he was like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, that's scripture, man. Like, that was one of the first things that kind of brought that to, I'm like, that's not, argue with argue with james don't argue with me yeah that's about the most humble thing i've heard i think is like that doesn't make sense like i i think part of it too is just just the struggling to sit with the things that they don't like or don't make sense yeah where it's like uh, and that's of common practice honestly it kind of is one of the biggest things that separates christianity from a lot of other religions and beliefs where it's like if you don't like something sit with that like test it test yourself like you know and well ultimately what it is is it's idolatry because you're 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 conforming god to act and think the way that you think yeah you're saying god should be like me yes and instead of saying which the christian perspective is god should be like god and then i should through the holy spirit conform to him actually he's gonna he's conforming me to the image of of him <laughs> to the image of his son right my husband's dad he's a preacher and we, we were hoping to get him on at some point i'll shout him out too he listens um 
he calls it being a um, Jesus dispenser. It's just yeah. we, we allow Jesus to be Jesus in us and let that flow out. It's nothing we do. In the Old Testament, God says, you made the mistake that thinking that I was like you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's a mistake. That is a fundamental mistake. And I think that that's, as we talked about in the last episode, that's one of the biggest mistakes of this of this church, uh, yeah. this belief system, is that they try and make God like man, which kind of, as we're, so I should say also a little bit more of an update with the missionaries as we're kind of drifting off. Um, Bob, so they do a transfer every six weeks, uh, missionaries do. And so Bob uh, actually moved, but Jerry is still here, uh, and he's been here for a while. But I have really developed a really close relationship with Jerry. Um, Like, I saw him yesterday, and he was introducing me to his new companion. um, And, like, that's their partner, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And he's driving away as I was walking my dog, and he's rolling up his window. And as he's rolling away, he was like, man, I love David. And it was just, like, kind of cool to be like, okay, like, I'm, like, it was just, like, it was a really cool thing to be like, okay, although, like, I'm pressing him, like, I'm still seeing that there's a relationship being built there. So, yeah. Um, and and he's say, really receptive. I will say that's something I've experienced a lot with a lot of Mormons and, and LDS is just like, I, like with, with my friend in high school, I pressed her a lot and she was so patient with me and she really like wanted to talk about it. And she like, she would never um, make me feel bad for asking the questions I did. She, she, she never took it personal. She was always like ready to talk about it. That's something that's, that was really sweet um, to experience. And so, like, it's been really cool because Jerry, the one who stayed, is way more receptive. Like, it's a lot easier to, like, ask him a question instead of, like, him getting defensive, which mm-hmm. I actually have experienced some missionaries get pretty defensive. A lot you of times have he goes, more experience like, That's than I. Yeah, he'll be like, hmm, that's a really good question. I've never really thought of it that way. Or, like, I, like over the, that conversation, like, we... Uh, my pastor kind of got to talk to him as I was talking to the other one, Bob, and I just overheard their conversation and like him being very receptive to him. And as we were describing the idea of grace and like actually what grace is versus their idea of grace was being like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like he wasn't really trying to be like, well, no, this is actually what the church teaches. And so I would say to those of you who are listening, please be praying for him. Um, he's an awesome guy. Like he's definitely the person that like, when he's out of his mission and he's like, he goes back home, like after college, I'm totally going to be like on spring break, be like, Hey, you should come over and hang out. And like, he's an awesome guy. So mm-hmm. be praying for them. Both of them, honestly, they're both great guys. Yeah. Um, you know, conversations were hard, but like they were just, they're great people. So be praying for that. Uh, but I kind of think as we were recapping the missionaries, I think we should kind of also recap the last episode. So, right. um, kind of church history stuff like we should kind of recap that so really this all started with joseph smith who when he's around 14 years old decided to go out into the wilderness and pray to god he got this from james 1 5 you know if anyone see it, like lacks wisdom you know ask god and so he uh which is interesting because he's actually not asking for wisdom he's actually asking for knowledge right. he's asking for insight because wisdom is you have knowledge and it's like how should it act based right. off of that right and so it's kind of a, kind of started with a misinterpretation of scripture, the whole movement. But mm-hmm. um, that's a whole other bag of worms. 
So he goes into the wilderness, and he's greeted by... The, the first vision account basically says that he was greeted by two personages and one of them and one of them said this is my son with whom I am well pleased like listen to him and so it was they believe he says that it was heavenly father and then Jesus who were two separate personages or beings and Jesus said you know not to join any of the churches for all their creeds were an abomination so then he doesn't he comes back and after about three years of like not really going to church because he didn't want to join them you know he decides to go seek another vision and he was greeted by Moroni who said that he was going to be that he was going to find in this field these golden plates which was the restored gospel or as we know it now um, the Book of Mormon so it was another testament of of Jesus Christ Um, they called it the restored gospel because they believed that there was this great apostasy that needed to be that that was in place that needed to be restored the church needed to be restored so then the, he writes down the Book of Mormon, and as this movement starts growing, this church starts growing, he moves from Ohio, from New York to Ohio, and then from Ohio to like um, Missouri and then Indi- Illinois. He goes to prison at one point, uh, and then they go to Utah. Uh, Joseph Smith, before he died, because uh, he died kind of abruptly, he wrote down the Book of Mormon, but then he also wrote down the the. Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine of Covenants, which are also scripture within the Mormon faith. And then he dies, and Brigham Young becomes the second president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then they they their their center even now is in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and Provo, mm-hmm. Utah, like is pretty densely Mormon as well too. So there's a lot of Mormons around that area. Brigham Young became the second president, and so. The president is like the the head, the prophet of the church, like mouthpiece for God. And so you have the first presidency, which is the president, and then you have two counselors, um, and then you have the quorum of the twelve, and then you have the quorum of the seventy. So that's kind of like the structure of the church. And so the the presidency has been passed down to fourteen other uh, fourteen other men. And so right now it's Russell M. Nelson, and so. I will say most of the presidents tend to be pretty old because it actually gets passed down to the oldest, the next oldest person up. Like so, uh, the like the current president is I, I believe in like in his nineties. Yeah, so, late nineties. And most of them are yeah, like late nineties. So, yeah. So that's kind of like it gets passed down from there. Um, but that's kind of like the church history thing. And so, as we're talking about the church history. And this this idea of the restored gospel, um, it kind of brings about kind of the next line of thought of like why it needed to be restored, which was kind of as we talked about in the previous episode, the the nature of God was a big thing that basically the church had messed up the view of God, the nature of God, like the true nature of God was one of the main things that was lost in the church. So Becca actually made this really cool chart to kind of go over this overview of kind of their view of God versus our view of God. So, Becca, do you want to kind of go over uh, that? Yeah, so I'll just jump right into it. So, basically, they're um, true. They, they believe that the true nature of God um, is very different than what our Bible says and what we believe. So, they believe that he's a created being, whereas we believe that he is eternal and of the same substance of the Son and Spirit. You know the trinitarian god the triune god 
he was exalted to godhood by obedience to his father and we believe that he is eternally god yeah like i mean so in in psalm 90 verse 2 it says from everlasting to everlasting that he's been god and so like we that's like one of the main reasons why we disagree is like you know like they have the the script like you know joseph smith the king fallout discourse he says you know i will we imagine and suppose that God has been God from all eternity. I will refute that idea. Take away the veil that you may that you may see, right? So he's literally saying that God, and then he says that God was once as we are now and sits enthroned in heavenly yonder. Like that, so he basically is saying that God was a man and then became God. And scripture literally says that he has been God from everlasting to everlasting. Mm. And he's, so scripture flat out rejects his claim. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you can continue, but I just think that's like, as we're starting there, like it just fundamentally disagrees. Like he, his view fundamentally disagrees with what scripture says. Right. For sure. For sure. Um, going forward, fa- they believe that he is father of all spiritual beings, including Jesus. And we believe that he is the triune God and creator of all things. Um, and we are his children by adoption, which we read in Romans. Again, with him being the triune God, they believe that he is one of three persons who work together to be God over the earth. Whereas we believe he is one of the three persons in the Trinitarian Godhead. So, Christians would say that we, um, we that God is three persons in one being, and they would right. say that that God is three beings. And th- like three beings, like that, I shouldn't say, I should say that they believe that God, the Father, is one of three beings who are gods, multiple gods, and I say gods, plural, of th- of the earth. But they would say that they are one in purpose. Right. They wouldn't say, like, we would say that they are one in being and three in person. Because mm-hmm. we see, you know, we get this from like John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then later on in John 1, 14, it says in the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. And, you know, we know him as Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so the word was God and he was with God. So we kind of get that from there. We also see in uh, Acts as they're talking about as Ananias and Sapphira as they as they t- blaspheme against God, they basically said, you blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and then of God and like blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and God. So they're equating that the, the Holy Spirit and God are the same. So that's why that's kind of, but we also know from like the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, here Israel, the Lord, our God is one. So we know that the God, that God is one. So that's why we get, that's where we get that. Yeah. That's kind of where we get that idea of the Trinity in <laughs> And, and to be as brief as possible, that's those are the kind of the yeah. scriptures that we would, where we would get that from. Mm-hmm. And if if you have any questions on that, we could probably do a whole episode on just that. So. Um, oh yeah, we will do a whole episode on the Trinity one of these. Yeah, days. we could do a whole like couple episodes on that. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you want to hear about that, let us know. DM us, email us. Uh, but anyway, moving forward, uh, in the Mormon Church, God is described by prophets in pretty inconsistent ways and David's already kind of touched on why that is um like because they believe that prophets don't have to be fully infallible and they can be speaking from their manhood quote-unquote 
um, instead of speaking for, directly from God. Um, but we believe that, and and in our scripture, God is God reveals Himself in the Bible very consistently. So there's a lot less confusion among, I believe, Protestant Christians about who He is and His character. Yeah, because we believe that God has spoken, and He has spoken through Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, and that Scripture is one um, unison story about who God is and our relationship to Him. And I would say that they believe. I mean, truly, as I was talking to them, like they believe that the doctrine can change, um, and that prophets can be speaking from their manhood like just what you were saying like I'm, I'm echoing what you just said but it's just yeah. it, it, there's just a fundamental difference so and it shows that they like don't believe that scripture is sufficient like one of the uh, one of the missionaries even texted me and was like hey do you why don't you guys have like like he's like I've, I've seen you know in the bible that the church has always been led by a prophet uh, which one is actually not true um there's been times like the intertestimonial period where there was no prophet. Um, so that's not actually true. Um, but besides that, he was saying that like, we need modern day prophets, like a modern day prophet leader, because, you know, we need to know how to treat cancer and we need to know how to deal with depression. We need to know all these things. A a Christian would say, well, we have scripture. Um, maybe it's not going to say like, Hey, you need to get chemotherapy to get uh, like, to get when when you have cancer to treat your cancer but they would say but like i feel like scripture is pretty clear about like you know trusting the authorities um and so i would say that yes. that also goes with people doctors that have gone to school um and seeking counsel so if somebody like a wise man seeks counsel so if you go to somebody who studied something like a doctor and they go hey i think you need this treatment you can go to that doctor and trust them for that or like when it comes to depression and anxiety, dude, just read the Psalms. Read Psalms 1 through 50. That's literally the whole thing. <laughs> it's oh my like, gosh, or yeah. Le- or lead lam- read Lamentations. Like and it's literally just like... Yeah, like it, there's so much. I mean, that was the one where I was like, dude, like it's mental health is very prominent, especially in the Old Testament. I mean, or even like in the New Testament too, like you read Philippians, it's... Paul's writing this in prison and it's the book of joy. Like it, so the keys to spiritual fulfillment and contentment, I I feel like really are in there. I mean, are ultimately in Christ and that's what Philippians points to, but that's another rabbit trail. But I think that like it brings everything back to the final point of like, we believe scripture is sufficient. Like maybe it's not going to tell you exactly like, Hey, like if you have like if you have cancer you need to get chemotherapy but like the guiding principles are there you know yeah and that's why that's where joseph smith went wrong in the first place in with misinterpreting that scripture in james where it's you 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 can ask god for wisdom and like you said wisdom is like you have the knowledge how do i act on it so exactly that is such a good point too because like that is what's, I mean, it's so important that we read scripture and we come to God in prayer. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, I think that's like such a good point uh, that we get to take a scripture and ask God for wisdom on what he has already written. Um, yep. And, and not ask for new knowledge. 
not ask for new knowledge, but ask for wisdom on what he's already written. Yeah, and the beauty of the gospel is that God is like not this faraway being that we have to go through prophets and priests to talk to. He's He calls us friend, you know, if we believe in him. Like he's our father and our authority and we should have reverence for that, but he's also, he calls us our like his friend. So we he wants us to come to him with these things. So that's a huge difference as well. Yeah, and I think... I mean, we've been kind of talking about this, but <laughs> you should also kind of get to like, who is Jesus? Because I think that that yes. is like a really big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about it on the last one, but like, who is Jesus? Kind of that yes. recap. Yes. Who is Jesus Christ? And because it's in our, it's in both of our names. It's they, they believe that they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We call ourselves Christians. So this is kind of the biggest point we're trying to make is, um, our differences about who Jesus is. So they believe he is created as a spirit child of heavenly father and mother, because in their view, heavenly father has wives that he populated the earth earth with via sexual union. And we believe he is eternal and of the same stuff substance as the father and spirit, which was proven in just that scripture you read, you know, in the first point about God, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, word being Jesus. Um, they believe his, he was um, exalted to Godhood by obedience to the, to the Father, and his Father being Heavenly Father. Um, we also believe that Jesus was eternally God. He wasn't exalted to Godhood. He wasn't like his kid and then obeyed Heavenly Father and then became, you know, fellow God over earth. He was always with him, and he always was god they believe he's a spiritual brother of lucifer and all other beings so that includes us uh, but we believe that he is creator of all things outside of the trinity they believe he is the spiritual brother of lucifer and all other beings including us but we believe that he is creator of all things outside of the trinity yeah we would say that god is eternal so by nature he was not created um, right. he is god he is so like it's all things that you know John 1 1 we were just talking about John 1 if any of you guys are wanting after watching like listening to these two I'd say one of the biggest um, chapters of the Bible in terms of understanding the Trinity from your like just to edify you but then also understanding how to speak to Mormons and speak to Jehovah's Witnesses is John 1 such a good but such a good chapter Um, it talks about how through the word, this word, not anything that has been made. Uh, he's created all things that have been made, and not one thing that has been made hasn't been created by him. That's like a paraphrase, but like that's essentially what like we believe is that God has created all things. Not a single thing that has been created was not created by God. To reiterate, they believe he's one of three separate gods. We believe, you know, one in three all that um they believe he his sacrifice basically not basically they believe it was insufficient to pay for sins and offer full righteousness um but christians believe that his sacrifice is sufficient and it's a sufficient payment for sin to secure perfect righteousness 
so that no one can boast. So it's nothing that we can do that saves us, basically. It's it's all Christ. Um, nothing we can do can earn any level of salvation or level of heaven paid for, done, one and done. Christ said it is finished when he was on the cross, and that's what he meant. Is It's paid for. Uh, the debt is paid. Yeah, it has been... Our sin was paid past, present, and future on the cross. And I think that that's like, uh, I mean, no Mormon would outright say like that Christ's atoning sacrifice wasn't sufficient. Like they wouldn't say that, but Mm -hmm. it is actually kind of what they mean because they believe that through, they would say like in their doctrine that through Jesus Christ, you know, atonement, all men, all men may be saved, all men are saved. So, but their reason they can say that but disagree is because when they say saved it's a fundamental there's a fundamental distinction between what we say to be saved uh, so like a Christian would say when we are saved we are going to spend eternity with God the triune God for all eternity mm-hmm. whereas in the Mormon view you have the three levels of heaven so like the third the lowest level of heaven God's not even there. God can come down and visit you. He's not even there. Second level of heaven, you know, Jesus is there. And then the third level of heaven is God the Father is there. But then you ultimately become a God, right? So when they say saved, they mean you can go down to the third level of heaven, which is basically just like earth, but just a little bit better. And so, and God's not even there. Whereas we would say, no, when we are getting saved, we are being saved from the wrath of God being poured out onto our sinfulness and we are getting saved to be with our father forever. So when we say saved and they say saved, they're saying we're saying two very different things. So like they would say, no, Christ's death was sufficient. All men are, are going to be saved, you know? So they're kind of universalists. They do believe in outer darkness, which would be like kind of like the worst of the worst people or like the more you've been exposed. So like somebody who's a, a Mormon who's, who knows the fullness of the gospel and has been exposed to it and then rejects it because they had this higher knowledge and they rejected it, they actually believe that they would be sent to outer darkness. So, like, that's a thing where so sometimes I feel like some Mormons I've talked to that have left the church, have that's been a factor of why they maybe were kind of, or and, and I've heard why they didn't really want to leave the church. They're like, oh, well, I know so much if I leave. I'm not even going to be in the lowest level of heaven. I'm going to be in outer darkness. So that's a tangent. But I think that that's like a fundamental distinction is that we believe it's fully sufficient to be with God forever, that it fully satisfied that and that we are fully saved. Whereas like they, because they believe in different levels of being saved that like they can kind of say that and not really mean the same thing. And that's, it's really important to, it's a really important distinction because I feel like a lot of, reasons people are turned away from you know the true church our church is that people just in our humanness kind of tend to almost establish a a hierarchy of like oh how saved are you are you reading your bible every day every other day like all this stuff where it's like no like obviously those are good things and we're called to do those things but that's not what saves us that's not the root of our salvation and that we don't earn anything from God um, by being good 
quote unquote good Christians or good Mormons that they would say it's like no Christ did it all so no one can brag about whether you're you know you know it's it's all him yeah back to the atonement thing like they say that we believe that through the atonement of Christ all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel there's like the the faith and the works and I think that like it kind of what we talked about last week or I should say last episode you know this idea of like you know we I quoted second Nephi 25 23 like they they even not even just in who Jesus is physically but also his work they didn't they like fundamentally disagree you know they say in second Nephi 25 23 says for we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do um and they you know they also have we'll get into this in a little bit too they also have their own translation Joseph Smith translated the Bible because he believed that parts of it were corrupt and so in Romans 14 16 it says therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law but also of those who have faith of Abraham he is the father of us all so there it says therefore ye are justified of faith and works through grace see there's that difference and so mm-hmm. and then again you know the you know we believe that uh, through the atonement of Christ all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel where Galatians says when you actually try and justify yourself, Galatians 5 says, or, yeah, when, I believe it's Galatians 5, that you actually are putting on a curse. You're cursing yourself. Like, it's impossible to try and attain righteousness by the works of the law. And so, like, we believe, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you. It is a gift of God. It is not from works, so no no one may boast. For we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance that we should live in them, one one in Christ. Or, you know, some translations say that we should walk in them, right? And so as believers, we believe that it is by grace, grace only that we are saved. And even the faith that we exert is actually given to us by grace. And that it's not anything that we do, no work that we could do. Um, and that even the works that we do, because then the classic Mormon response is to say, well, faith without works is dead. And yes, I agree with James and I agree with Paul that like mm-hmm. if we like if we try and, you know, if we say that we have faith, but we don't actually have fruit, then it shows that actually we were never given grace, like the grace of God. We don't actually have faith. So like the Holy Spirit in us does the works. It's not right. us. We're not justifying ourselves. Exactly. Just like the fruit is, you know, proof of a re- of repentance. It's, yeah. It's the same thing here where it's like these works are fruit of our repentance. It's not we do these things so we're saved. It's we're saved so we do these things. God is doing them through us. Yes. So, yeah, I shouldn't say we un- do. Under- it's God, God yeah. through us. And, yeah. And like so the Mormon would say that actually like and that's their difference is that they don't actually say it's really the Holy Spirit working through them. It's actually them. Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of are guided by, you know, what they believe to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so like they would say like, oh, these ordinances, these first principles and ordinances are like, you know, these laws and ordinances, ordinances, ordinances 
or like, hey, you know, like you got to wear the temple garment, like the the temple garments and you got to um, go on mission if you're an, an like if you're a man who's capable, um, you have to partake in sacrament you have to be baptized you have to do all these things and like where it's like i feel like a lot of times i want to talk to somebody who's lds and just be like have you read the book of galatians <laughs> like it's all about that do you i mean do you have anything you want to say on that becca when they believe that uh christ's human body was conceived via sexual union between heavenly father and mary um so they believe in a virgin conception Whereas we believe Jesus is God who took on flesh and conceived by the Holy Spirit to a virgin. So it was a virgin birth. And um, I'll make a point about that here in a second. But the last point I was going to say is that he, they believe that he is an organizer of the earth from existing matter. And we believe that he created the universe from nothing. So in both of these things, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. They're trying to put, they're trying to make God like us. Where like, they might say like, well, you know, that's where babies come from is sexual union. Well, yes, between humans, but God is God. Um, and he can do miracles, whereas a virgin conception is not miraculous. That happens all the time, obviously. Um, same with creating something out of nothing. Obviously, humans can't create anything out of nothing. But God is God, and he can and did. I think probably if you're listening to this and you don't really know a lot about Mormonism, you're probably thinking, like, where do all these beliefs come from? Like, what? Just some guy said this. Like, where is it documented? Like, what is it? So, like, I guess we should probably get into, like, what are, like, the, like, standard works? Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, the Mormon... We we have one word of God. I mean, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's one word of God. Um, it's, and we believe that's the Bible, but they have four pieces of scripture. They called the four standard works. And these are regarded as the word of God by the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, so they have, they believe that the first one is the Bible, but specifically, um, well, of our translations, they'll only use the King James version. Um, but just as you touched on earlier, David, that just Joseph Smith did kind of quote unquote translate his own version of the Bible, the Joseph Smith translation. And like I've talked to a lot of Mormons and like LDS and they kind of use it more like a Bible study. Like they mostly read from the King James. Like so they have a thing called mm-hmm. a quad, which is like it's the Bible. It's the King James translation of the Bible. And then it's like the I guess, you know, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, which you'll just talk about. But yeah, so, but they use the Joseph Smith translation because it's not a full translation. Like he didn't translate the entire Bible. So, right. It's more like his interpretation of it. Yeah, because they believe that, like, the Bible, like, they believe that the Bible, like, in one of their articles of faith, they believe that the Bible is the Word of God so far as it's properly, like, accurately translated or properly translated. So, what, so, Joseph thought that there were parts that were missing or corrupted in the Bible, but so he, he like retranslated those parts. But it's funny because at that time we didn't have as early manuscripts as we have now. And we're kind of realizing like we, the Dead Sea Scrolls were not discovered. So like he even like 
started trying to translate parts of the Old Testament and, like, add stuff in there. Like, he added himself in, like, Genesis, like, the last chapter of Genesis. But, like, we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and saw, like, oh, wait, the Bible actually hasn't really been corrupted because the, the faith that was once for all given to the saints. You know, like, so it's kind of like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of Mormons have kind of backed down from that. I think we should add, too, because you can check me on this, David, but I believe he it was more like him interpreting our already English translation. It wasn't yeah, him I mean, going back to the Greek and really translating it. It was more him interpret- interpreting the Bible we had in English, which we talked about a little bit in the first episode. But Yeah, no, he didn't know Greek. He didn't know Hebrew. He didn't know Aramaic. And then you'll talk about the book of Abraham. He didn't know Egyptian. <laughs> like, he didn't know any of these things. They're all spiritual translations. Is I should say, quote-unquote spiritual translations is what they say. That's the first standard work. Then they have, obviously, the Book of Mormon, which was the golden tablets from, you know, Moroni. Well, Moroni spoke about them. Um, that, and then they have the Doctrines and Covenants, and then the Pearl of Great Price. And this is where the 13 articles of faith are found. So, David, do you want to talk a little bit about the Book of Mormon? Yeah, so basically, so this is actually from their website, so... The Book of Mormon, really, because a lot of people are probably like, where, like, what is it really documenting? So the Book of Mormon, this is actually from the LDS website. The Book of Mormon is a record of three groups of people that were led by the by the Lord to the American continent, their promised land. The first group, the Jaredites, left the old world in the time of the Tower of Babel to escape the confounding of the, the, uh, the, confounding of the tongues. Their story is found in the Book of Ether, the second group came with uh, with Father Lehi from Jerusalem during the reign of King Zedekiah. Most of the Books of Mormon is a record of the Nephites and the Lamanites, rival nations that descended from Lehi's family. The third group, sometimes referred to as the Mulekites, arrived in the Promised Land a few years later, after Lehi, with a son of Zedekiah named Mulek. Mulek. Um, they later joined with the Nephites. The Book of Mormon depicts the struggles of these peoples and testifies of the role of Jesus Christ in his gospel in their temporal welfare and spiritual salvation. So basically, it takes place in the like on the American continent. And so after Jesus, they believe that they were Jews that came to the Americas um, around the Old Testament period. You know, as I said, like during around the time of Tower of Babel and then during the time of King Zedekiah. Um, so they believe that these Jews came over to the American continent and kind of established their people, uh, and that, you know, they were prophets and the priests and, you know, they were prophesying kind of like a, a similar to the old Testament, you know, that there was prophecy and people were turning to God and turning away from God. And, um, and then eventually Jesus came after he resurrected and ascended, he actually descended back down to the Americas to preach his gospel there. And then for the next 300 or so years, so that, that I should say that happens in third Nephi that Jesus comes down, um, which is one, one of the books of the uh, book of Mormon is third Nephi. So he comes down to the, uh, to the Nephites. Um, or, yeah. He comes down to the, this group of, you know, the, the Nephites and preaches his gospel. And there's peace in the land between the, you know, the Nephites and the Lamanites. And that for the, and then after some time, 
uh, basically they started turning on each other. The Lamanites turned against the Nephites and turned away from the Lord. Uh, the Nephites stayed true to the Lord uh, is what they would say. And then uh, there was this great battle. So this is like, you know, after Jesus. So this is like AD. So for like the next 300 years, they kind of, there was, um, they would say that there was like struggle and, and stuff. And uh, after some time, the Lamanites almost wiped out the Nephites completely. And you had um, Moroni who basically they wrote down the Book of Mormon and they put these golden plates down in the, uh, the, the ground in like New York. And that's kind of how the Book of Mormon came to be. Uh, and then Jesus, well, I shouldn't say Jesus, sorry. Joseph Smith uh, discovered these golden tablets, which was the record, which is of the Book of Mormon. It was just basically the whole Book of Mormon. So um, that's kind of the general story of the Book of Mormon, just kind of so people understand. So they believe that there was actually, you know, a whole like people on the, like on the American continent that actually had faith in Jesus for all these years. Um, and then they were wiped out. And so they would say that modern day Native Americans are uh, probably descendants of the Lamanites. I've heard some uh, Mormons that would say that um, the modern day Native Americans aren't descendants of Lamanites, but I've, it's kind of, I've been, I've heard both ways, but yeah. So yeah, I also think as we're kind of talking about this, like, cause we've, mentioned this in the previous podcast we mentioned it in this podcast um so they believe that and this kind of lines up with what's going on on the the other continent they believe is what was going on over there is they believe that there was the apostles because they actually believe that jesus established his church and established apostles and prophets uh in the americas and so then they believe that as the the um the nephites were being destroyed they lost the apostle, the apostles died and the, the prophets died and the priests died. And they would say that also in the Americas, as Paul died, the apostles died, like, like, well, you know, all the apostles died. John was the last apostle to, you know, live so that priesthood was lost. The prophets were lost. They would say that then they went into a great apostasy. And so it wasn't like, an, like I said in the last podcast, it wasn't overnight but they believe that it was kind of over time. So kind of the great apostasy was this time where Mormons believe that God took away his presence from the earth and taking away his prophets and priests and apostles. Um, and then it led to like the falling away from the truth of the gospel. I'm using quotation marks, like the truth of the gospel, kind of as we talked about, you know, the na- what they believe the nature of God is and the nature of Jesus and how people are saved, like those things. And then they believe that Joseph Smith restored it. Like the church says that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints affirms the uh, affirms to the world that after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the subsequent death of his apostles, there was a falling away and an altering or rejecting of his revealed word. The long night of apostasy lasted well over a millennium. During this period, man-made creeds and practices were uh, substituted for the plan for the plan of salvation that Jesus had taught. So. Uh, they believe that the essential ordinances and teachings, some of the, some of these would be the true nature of God, you know, eternal marriage, essential saving ordinances, and the priesthood authority were all taken from, you know, the earth uh, mm-hmm. during the great apostasy. So, really, the kind of their biggest emphasis is on the priesthood that the pre- that there always needs to be priests, and so they would say that you know, like the Levitical priesthood, you know, 
they you know they used to provide sacrifices but then they would say that um in the times of jesus they would say they believe that john the baptist was the last um descendant of the levitical priesthood so they call them the aaronic priesthood but the levitical priesthood so they believe that basically jesus had to be given the priesthood from john the baptist um and then you know he gave that priesthood to his apostles but then after the apostasy the priesthood was lost and that uh joseph smith had to get the priesthood restored back to him so you know he got the priesthood restored back to him the milk um, by John the Baptist and then he got both the Melchizedek and the Aaronic priesthood so then he got the Melchizedek priesthood by John, James, and Peter um, or Peter, James, and John I feel like you almost always hear that order like it's Peter, James, and John you never hear like right. James, John, Peter or John, James, Peter but yeah, which is funny that's just how I wrote it in my experience there's a lot of emphasis on Peter yeah I think that's probably why like I think right just the idea of like him being the rock you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but then so after he was given the authority uh or well the the priesthood authority it gave him the authority to baptize and pray the holy spirit into people uh by the by the laying on of hands so that's they really emphasize the idea of baptism and laying on of hands and like that being essential so like um but most evangelicals will probably uh disagree with this because we believe in the idea of the priesthood of all believers. Um, Peter clearly lays this out in First Peter uh, 2, 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of, hi- of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Peter is taking is talking to believers in Pontus, Cappadocia, and Asia. So, like, he literally starts that is you know, um, in his book. So these are not like priests. Like he's not talking right. to just generally priests. He's talking to some Jewish believers, probably mostly Gentile believers. Um, so this, it. So that's where we kind of get this idea that we are actually all a priest. Like that when we accept Christ, we are given this priesthood, uh, this royal priesthood, you know what I mean? So, right. which we wouldn't say it in this, like the priesthood is, means the same thing as what a Mormon would say. So, uh, yeah. So then, you know, he also says, you know, in verses, actually one verses four and five, he says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God, a pre- precious to him, you also like living stones and being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering a spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the like the priesthood that we're talking about is spiritual sacrifices. And mm-hmm. like I would say that's similar to like Romans where it says therefore, you know, you know, gives your bodies uh, give your bodies it's like a living sacrifice, right? Yeah. Um so I think that that's kind of there's a difference in how we view the priesthood and like how we interpret what that is. Um, and I th- also think that Jesus lays out, you know, when he, co- I talked about Peter being called the rock because, you know, he was Simon and then he was, his name was changed to Peter, which means rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think, so like, that's another thing too that like Protestants would say is that we we don't believe in a great apostasy because Jesus said, "I on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." 
um, or you know Jude one three that you know the faith that was once for all given to the saints, contempt for the faith that was once for all given to the saints. You know, so I think the saints, that there's like the saints being us. Yeah, the saints being us, right. not just the LDS. So mm-hmm. being Jude is a great book too, by the way. If you're Jude is just it's actually one of my favorite books for being how small it is. It's such a good, mm-hmm. uh, such a good book. But yep. and so they. We also see in, in Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest, that he's interceding for us. So we no longer need an earthly priest uh, presiding over us. We don't need any more prophets or leaders of the church because we have Christ, who is our great high priest. He's our, he's, our pro, he's our priest, prophet, king, Messiah, and he is God in the flesh. And like that's the whole point of the Old Testament is that he is the fulfillment of everything. Right. I mean, it's like... I I couldn't think of a more clear message of that than the veil being torn as soon as Christ died, because like it you couldn't get more explicitly clear than that in my opinion. Just like because for those of you who don't know or maybe are new to this, you know, new to all the gospel, just like when Christ died and paid the penalty for our sin, there was this veil that um was in i believe like just like you know and like the temple that separated just the normal kind of gathering place from this place the holy of holies where only you know priests could go um and once christ paid that penalty it was immediately torn yeah and so that just showing that you know you no longer need any sort of priest to talk to God. I am your high. I'm the great high priest. I am. I am. I guess I should say <laughs> he's the great I am. Um, but yeah, just to add to what you were saying is I think it's yeah. pretty explicitly clear in the Bible that he is our great high priest. Yeah. And like, I'll be honest with you. We'll probably do an entire episode one of these days, maybe in like a year or two or whatever, uh, it, or if it's requested on, the idea of like the great apostasy, one of the biggest verses that they point to is Amos eight eleven through 12. Say, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst or, or a thirst for water, but a, f- a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, wandering, wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. So like, I think a lot of times Mormons misunderstanding is that there's several ways that they misunderstand that in that. They believe that this, it doesn't say prophet, I'm just going to say that, but prophets did speak from God. So they, they were there was this word of the Lord coming from them. So that is a part of it. But also the word of the Lord is scripture. So I guess like the great apostasy, they would have to prove to me that nobody heard scripture <laughs> right. for all this time because that is the word of the Lord. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and also the, Amos was written in like 750 BC. Um, later on, you see the destruction of the temple, um, because they were taken into captivity, like the Israelites, because they were, this is written, the book of Amos was written at a time where Jerusalem was doing great financially, probably the best they've done since King Solomon, but it was, I think it was King Jeroboam and they were, I mean, they were just doing great. But a lot of times what happens is with Israel is when they're doing great financially and just living life, they forget God. 
And so mm-hmm. Amos, kind of his purpose in this book is pronouncing, like, basically, like, hey, if you don't repent and turn to God, like, stuff's going to happen. So he pronounces judgment on these following, like, these other nations around them. And then he pronounces the hardest judgment on Israel. And it's basically, like, hey, eventually, like, y'all are going to get, like, destroyed. And so, and then in mm-hmm. verse, and in chapter 9, it talks about, like, this, uh, this, descendant of David that's going to come, right, and rebuild it. So I think that there's an argument that it could be made that this is actually talking about the intertestimonial period. And I also think another misunderstanding in this is that the word, the idea of a famine, so like we read the famine in Genesis with Joseph, it didn't mean that there was no food at all. Right. People had food. That was the whole point. Like Joseph had this, and he, heard, he interpreted Pharaoh's vision, and they were like, hey, this is, the, they interpreted Pharaoh's vision and he was basically saying there's going to be this famine that's going to happen. So they stored up all this food so that way people could come to them. Food was scarce. It was hard to come by food, mm-hmm. but, you know, people were able to come to Egypt. So that was, that's actually our biblical understanding of a famine. And I think that a Jewish writer, when they are a reader, when they would hear this, they, it's probably one of the first things they would think about. So. Right. And so people would go from east to west to try and find food. They couldn't, but they were able to find food in Egypt, like his brothers did. So I think right. that it's a similar thing. And that might be a stretch to an extent, but I don't really think it is. Um, and I yeah. think it's the same. We actually kind of are living in this time that Amos is talking about right now. We have the prosperity gospel. We have Mormonism. We have Jehovah's Witnesses. We have, um, you know, these different forms of christianity that are or universalism that are like we have pastor quote unquote pastors that aren't even preaching truth so yeah. it is actually really we're in a time right now kind of a famine of the word of the lord um yeah. that's not to say it's not there but like people are just not preaching it so i think that we can do an entire episode on the great apostasy but i think that's just kind of my thoughts on the great apostasy do you have anything that you want to add to that becca um no like you said i mean there is so much there um but just for the sake of time we'll, we'll leave it there and we'll, we'll we can do another episode on just that later on if y'all want so let us know again we have an email knowing god pod right the knowing god pod at gmail yeah and yeah. then the knowing god our, pod at gmail and yeah we're on instagram too same name so yeah at the knowing DMS. god pod Send us an email if you want to hear more about that or anything you hear. If you, if you want more information on, we'd love to, we'd love to respond to that. So, yeah, like I think as we're kind of talking about the word of the word, of, like the word of God or the word of the Lord, like I kind of, we were talking about the, the standard works. Um, and so as we were doing this, we, we discovered really a lot more. I had heard about the book of Abraham, but Becca discovered this, uncovered this, whole web of, of stuff with the book of Abraham. And I just thought it was so cool. And I think we just need to talk about it because it's interesting. We might do an entire podcast on this one of these days, but so Becca, take it away. Tell them about the book of Abraham. Yeah. So just for the sake of time, I mean, there's so much that's wrapped into this web. Um, and honestly, this is infamously known um, to, I guess, for lack of a better term, pretty much make apostates out of Mormons where like they hear about this and they're like, what? And then it's, it's one of the biggest reasons a lot of people leave the Mormon church. Um, and I had never heard of it until honestly researching for this episode. And I was like, wow. 
Um, so basically, this is just one example of Joseph Smith's um, quote-unquote translations being just debunked. All right, so the Book of Abraham is found in the Pearl of Great Price, which is one of the standard works. Um, and basically, it's it's rooted from a... Basically, in the summer of 1835, there was a traveling mummy show that um, it was run by a man named Michael Chandler. And it stopped in Kirtland, Ohio, where the first Mormon temple was um, was built. And there were mummies and rolls of pap papyrus with ancient Egyptian writings for sale. And quote, this is a quote from the website, at the urging of the prophet Joseph Smith, several members of the church donated money to purchase them. Um, and then this is a direct quote from Joseph Smith. And it says, I, with William W. Phelps and Oliver Cowardy as scribes, um, basically those two people, just for context, they helped translate a lot of the standard works and helped print them as well. Um, but I, with William W. Phelps and Oliver Cowardy as scribes, commenced the translation of some of the characters and characters or hieroglyphics, and much to our joy, found that one of the rolls contained the writings of Abraham. Truly, can we say the Lord is beginning to reveal the abundance of peace and truth? So, he claims there that he found writings of Abraham. Um, so. Basically, you might ask, like, how how would he translate? Does he know, you know, Egyptian or whatever? So, or does he know Egyptian? And this is another direct quote from the website. It says that the prophet's the prophet Joseph Smith never communicated his method of translating these records, as with all other scripture, a testimony of the truthfulness of these writings is primarily a matter of faith. The greatest evidence of truthfulness of the Book of Abraham is not found in analysis of physical evidence nor historical background, but in prayerful consideration of its content and power. LDS website. Oh my gosh. And oh I my will gosh. Say, <laughs> I will say on that, I agree. It is not found in historical evidence because... I, wa I want to be respectful, but I yes. just genuinely, that is, is kind of funny because it's like, it's a very good, it's a very, genuinely, I do, I will say it's a very good, it's a cl very clever way to cover up the fact that it was fabricated. Yeah, and I, I, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It's just the truth of like, that is a very good way of backing out of it. It was like, well, he just saw the hieroglyphics and it just kind of inspired it. It was a spiritual. Don't yeah. look into the evidence, guys. Don't look into it. Yeah, like, it's, it's not like, found there. Just pray about it, and then if you feel good about it, it's true. Just like what you were saying earlier. But the real answer is he really didn't translate it. Um, a lot of these original scripts are said to have been lost, but other fragments ended up at the Met Museum and were acquired by the church in 1967, so fairly recently. Um, and the, the remaining fragments have since been analyzed by Egyptologists, and they confirmed that the documents were not, I mean, they were not translated properly. properly. They were funerary scripts, funerary scripts, um, which are very commonly found inside mummy sarcophaguses. And that's something that um, they admit too, because like you might ask, like, okay, well, how does the church respond to that? Like, it's straight up proven to not be translated right. Um, but this is another quote from their website and an essay that they have on their website. They said that the Latter Day Saint and non Latter Day Saint Egyptologists agree 
that the characters on the fragments do not match the translation given in the book of Abraham. So they admit that. So again, you might be asking, okay, so what's up? Why, why is this still a standard work? This obviously isn't the word of God. It's not the word of Abraham, at least. And, but there are basically responses that it's not a literal translation. They openly admit that the words do not match, but they claim that the artifacts provided, um, quote, and this is a quote, an occasion for meditation and, quote, revelation. And that basically started the process of God giving him a revelation about Abraham's life. So it basically just put it in, put him into a meditative state to trans, to quote unquote translate or receive that. So, and so, yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, cause he kind of did claim that it was the text itself, like the, that he was translating and yeah, not, not even, was, not even kind of, he said, this is the writings of Abraham. It's just very, they just really try and cover it up. And I, yeah. I do think that it's just interesting. So, and then the book of Abraham is just kind of like a lot of it's kind of parts of it are like ripped off from like Genesis and then parts of it are like added like parts about like the the like uh, the existence like the primordial existence like them existing before like the like the pre-existence and then like kind of like you know parts of like eternal progression like things like that there's parts of like book Abraham that are just kind of like hmm that's not in Genesis like it's just very It's written supposedly written around like well actually before Genesis, but it, it doesn't really. Parts of it are kind of just straight rip-offs, but the parts that aren't are like this is very clearly written by a first by or like by like a 18th century or I should say 19th century man in America. <laughs> like right, you know, yeah. it's not does not give off the vibes of being actually scripture from. Yeah, the ancient Near East. <laughs> yeah, and just their wording, too, in the website is, like, the testimony of truthfulness. Like, it's only found, like, it's the truthfulness of this. Well, again, I agree. It's not found in historical evidence because the historical evidence is that Joseph Smith lied. I I hate, you know, it's, it's, it's just the truth. And so I don't, it, I mean, it's written from Abraham's point of view it's it and he claimed that it was writings of abraham so even if the teachings in the the book are were even if they were good it doesn't make it the word of god or a standard work you know so um it's it's it was very surprising to me to see that the church really doubled down on that well i think a lot of it is because they they know that they really have to when there's some type of false prophecy or false something they know what us Christians who know our Bible are going to say. They're going to be like, hmm, what about false prophets? What are we supposed to do with them? Not supposed to listen to them. So they really try their hardest to really (laughs) try and like reframe false prophecy in a way that... Yeah, we read that in Deuteronomy 13 verses 2 through 4 specifically, but, you know, Deuteronomy 13 in general... Um, it says, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of, spoken of takes place and the prophet says, Let's, l- let us follow other gods, 
gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all of your heart and with your soul and with all of your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep this commands keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. So basically it's straight up says like even if someone prophesies something and it does happen to come true, but they're claiming another gospel or a, another god, like disregard <laughs> it's giving you full permission like this this is like it's it warns you like he's he's saying you saying to you basically like this this could happen this probably will happen just just so you know just be aware of this and yeah and then there's also deuteronomy 18 it's like basically if they even have one false prophecy yep. do not fear them they're not from the lord and even one even if they yeah, have and a so bunch like, of ones that are correct they have one that's false they are not a prophet of God. I don't care if your prophet, you know, prophesied, like, you know, accurately prophesied World War Two and World War One and World War Two and the Civil War and, and this happening and that happening. And if you've had one false prophecy or one, like, I don't care. Like, you're, you're a false prophet. And that's what the Bible says. I shouldn't yeah. say I don't care. The Bible says, the, the Bible says you're, you're not, you're not from God. Um, yeah. And that's, that's one of the main points for me like if, if someone asks me why i'm not mormon it's, it's basically well joseph smith was a false prophet so by, by the bible standards so just plain and simple he had more than one false prophecy and the church admits that too and they just use that kind of technique we saw earlier to get around it but by the bible standards like he's a false prophet yeah and like i think it just think talking about this reminds me of like when i was going into the book uh, or like the um Joseph Smith translation. So, like, this is John 1 1. We've t mentioned this a couple times throughout the podcast, but John 1 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? That's, mm -hmm. I mean, you can, like, look at the Greek. We have ancient Greek manuscripts. One of the, the oldest manuscript of a, a gospel that we have is actually from the Gospel of John, which I think dates somewhere between, like, I, I'm going to give a broad date. It's somewhere between, like, 120. AD in like 160 or, or something like that I believe um, and so it's it's the earliest manuscript that we have of the, the gospel of John it's actually the earliest manuscript of any gospel that we have and so it and you can read it and it's you know I mean it's actually a fragment but you can read some of the earliest ma manuscripts of John that we have and like full text and it will say you know and an arche and halagos, you know, like you can read the Greek. I'm not going to do the whole thing because I actually don't know it all. But, um, and it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Like people that study Greek, that know the language can go back and see this. And this was written just, I mean, the fragments that we have in the manuscripts that we have were just written a couple decades after, you know, John was written. Maybe, maybe at latest, you know, we have some that are written about a hundred years after, but, and then he comes along 1800 years after this, 1900 years after this. And then he writes in the beginning was the gospel preached through the sun and the gospel was the word and the word was with the sun and the sun was with God and the sun was of God. Say that five times fast. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, not only is that just not that, but it's just really confusing. Like I'm right. just so confused. So 
And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of Mormons will use this as a commentary and not as a scripture, because it's really hard to get actually even their doctrine out of it. And you're like, yeah, it's kind of circular going on? almost. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so, because like the word gospel, like if that was in the, like that's euangelion. That's that's what it is in the Greek. If that was in the, the original text, the word euangelion would be there, but it's not. Um, so, what well, like, <laughs> and. But then again, it's like, but then again, it goes back to the idea of the burning in the bosom. Like, or, well, they call, I should say, they call it the burning in the bosom of like, does this feel right? Do, do I feel good things from this? And it's like, I don't know. Do you want to talk a, a little bit about the burning of the bosom, Becca? The burning of the, bo- the, the burning of the bosom is this idea that, um, Basically, that testament of truthfulness, the testimony of truthfulness that I t- spoke about earlier that, they, that was on the website is through prayer and just reading of the word. You just pray. And if it makes you feel good, that that what you were talking about earlier, David, that's the burning of the bosom. If it, if it makes you feel good and you feel that burning in, in your heart or bosom, like that's that's what basically you should trust. That's like your authority to know if something is true or not which trust your heart yeah which we know like we're fallible humans we can't trust our heart you know our heart is sinful like it's it literally goes against what scripture says where it's like Mm -hmm. the scripture says in jeremiah 17 9 it says the heart of man is desperately wicked who can understand it (laughs) like romans 3 if you want like i mean just to refute that entire idea of you know trust your heart just read romans 3 you know none is righteous No, not even one. No one seeks God. And right. it goes back to how we are saved. It's only by God giving us right. a new heart that Ezekiel talks about. And it's it, or and it's it's only by God giving us faith, you know, as Ephesians talks about. It's only by God that we are saved. And it's only by God's standard scripture, like by his scripture that we can know anything. It's only by God that we can know anything. We are so wicked we are not capable of loving god or pursuing god on our own and like the this idea that 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 you can actually be the arbiter of truth and be the judge you're actually being the judge over god in in doing that um and they're putting themselves in the position of god of like their they and their heart and their feelings and their emotions are what determines what what is true and what's not and not god eternal who is truth and so they literally make themselves to be God. It's literally idolatry. And I don't mean that to be, again, pejorative, but like, I just, it's what it is. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to insult them. Um, it's just what is, what is going on. So I think that that's like a really big thing. Yeah, we, we believe in something that's called absolute truth. And that truth is Christ. Um, but that, that's kind of what we're trying to say is like we we want to be respectful but we're going to call out false teachings if it's not true if it doesn't line up um but all all that said that's not to say that we can't discern things that the holy spirit might be trying to tell us or sway us because i think every, every christian has experienced like a moment of conviction if they're doing something wrong or kind of feeling like led to do something like i don't know like you might see someone across the room and you might feel really really something tugging on your heart to go talk to them and then you do and then it turns out you know 
it goes great. They, they really needed someone to talk to that day. Something like that. Just every day to day, you might feel something like that. And so it's not to say that we don't feel anything when we read scripture and the feeling isn't any part of it, but it is no, it, in no way is it our ultimate authority on what is true. Because again, it is explicitly said, like, you can't trust how you feel. Your heart is, you know, like because of sin, we can't trust what we feel. First uh, Thessalonians 5, spe- specifically 19 through 22, it says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Like, I think like, you know, if somebody's like, hey, I feel like God is telling me that I need to rob this bank and take all their money and, you know, make a church like and start a church or something like that. I think that, yeah, that's how you feel. Like, that's what maybe that's what's going on in your heart. But like, I can say ultimately, like through scripture that like to steal is wrong, like stealing is wrong. And so or like if somebody says like, hey, um, you know, like, you know, somebody's like, hey, you know, I prayed to God and, you know, God really said, you know, I could. I think I should sleep with my girlfriend. Like, I think that's okay. Like, I, I should sleep with my girlfriend or something like that. Uh, God's really telling me that. You'd be like, well, no, but the Bible. And that's the thing, too, with Mormons is both both those examples, if you ask them, how would you tell that, what would you point to to say, no, you're wrong? They would say, the Bible says blank. The Bible says blank. But then when it comes to anything that contradicts their actual doctrine, then they go, well, actually, the Bible has been corrupted. So they go, the, but the Bible told me so. The Bible told me so. And then the second it contradicts how they feel or what, you know, they hold to from their doctrine, then they go, actually, never mind the Bible. Let's throw it out the window. So they use the Bible as their ultimate authority in one sense, but then in the other sense, completely throw it out. Yeah. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be something horrible. It could just be like, oh, I feel like God is telling me that I need to... Um, say something in church or something let's just say like i i want or like in a in a bible study like i feel like there's something on my heart that i need to say and that thing is that um yeah i went to the grocery store today and i got oranges and milk and i really just felt like god was telling me to tell you that for some reason it's like no you're i mean i, I don't know it's just like it's, it's it just anything that's not from god like it's i don't know i'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to, that's bad. Yeah, you're trying to be funny. Yeah, you know, you're trying to be funny. And I get what you're, you're saying. Like, there is a standard of, like, how you know, like, what's from God and what's not. And that's standard of scripture. Yeah, um, right. We, it really shows us that, like, the, the true standard of, like, what is right and what is wrong. how And and what the fundamental difference between a Mormon and a Christian is, is really just, like, what is your ultimate authority? Is it? christ in his in his word or is it your emotions your heart and joseph smith and so uh i think that's really like the biggest thing as unromantic as it sounds we're blatantly saying that you should not follow your heart (laughs) um because yeah we've all been there we've all been like oh my gosh this person's awesome and they're great and i just really oh my gosh i'm so in love with them and they're the best and you got these rose-colored goggles, and then you like, like, five years later, you're like, mm, 
I don't know what I was thinking. Like, sometimes following your heart, you know, like, I don't know. I just think that... That's why humans are capable of kind of, like, falling in love, like, multiple times. Where it's like, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, we're fallible creatures, you know? Yeah. Following, following your heart can get you into trouble sometimes. You know what I mean? True. Um, yeah. So, I, I think, like, as we're kind of wrapping up this, like... Um, we should say our next episode and as we're talking about like our greatest like our highest authority our highest authority is the bible and so our, actually our next episode we're going to be talking about why we believe the bible why we trust the bible um, yeah yeah. so that's just a little teaser trailer for our next episode but yes, I guess Becca like how how would you like to these listeners who have listened to these past two podcasts they have all this information now how would you like what would you say to them like how do you go about a conversation with your mormon friends um to like really how do you reach them how would you talk to them what would be your advice yeah i mean it's something honestly i'm still like struggling on how to go about it um just because I mean, it's it's good to talk about doctrine, but I don't think you really need to be super, super educated on everything that the Mormon Church believes to talk to them. Like, one, I would just say, you know, listen, you know, be respectful. Um, don't come out guns a-blazing with all, like, their doctrines about... Like, that was one of the reasons we didn't go in too deep about, like, um, polygamy and, like, the bla- black people not inheriting the priesthood and stuff because one that's things that they don't believe anymore yes it's wrong that they ever believed it in the first place but it's not really gonna speak to the heart of the individual which is what you want to do and I think that's the biggest thing is it's easy to get caught up in going around in circles with um their like you know their scripture or their interpretation of scripture scripture but really I I I guess I just want to encourage you like you don't have to know every word of the Book of Mormon to speak to them. It, I mean, you need, it, it's helpful if you know the Bible. <laughs> um, but yeah, just I'd say just speak to the person, speak to the heart. Ask lots of questions. Don't just... It, one thing that I, I um, heard someone say on um, this uh, podcast, he, he wrote a book about how to talk to Mormons. And it's literally called Introducing Christianity to Mormons. Um, and he said, like, basically, I'm paraphrasing horribly, but basically when they say something like, oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Ask them, like, okay, what do you mean by that? Who is Jesus? What is your relationship to him? Like, like really get down. Like, don't just, because it's easy with, like, a lot of the... Um, we, we use a lot of the same terms, but you'll find, like, what we've said, like, they mean very different things. So just kind of, like, ask questions, really kind of try to understand, and then, I don't know. That That's a lot long-winded, say, long-winded way of saying just kind of speak truth and gentleness and respect, <laughs> like, what we try to yeah. do. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just being gentle, gentle and respectful, but also like standing for truth, contending for the yeah. faith. Um, my, in my experience of talking to a lot of Mormon missionaries and, and seeing and like Mormon friends and stuff is I think and 
you can't fake this. You have to genuinely be interested in the person. Um, you can't fake mm-hmm. that. Like, and that's just when it comes to evangelism in general. You can't just be like, oh, I'm just trying to tick off, I'm just trying to check off a box of like, oh, I've led this many people to Christ. Because ultimately, you know, you haven't. Only, right. like, it's only by, it's only by Jesus that people are saved. So, Amen. first of all, check your heart. But, like, it's. Yeah. First and foremost, like, check your heart. Like. Which I'm saying that to myself because I've done that. I've been that person sometimes where I'm like, haha. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I didn't. I didn't leave that person to Christ. But, mm-hmm. um, that's baby Christian David, you know, talking sometimes. I mean, um, there. Yeah. And I think, but you ultimately, like, need to be their friend. Like, they need to know that you actually care about them more so than just, like... Because I think sometimes people with... People that are Mormons or atheists or Muslims or, um, you know, whatever... uh, Jews or whatever belief system, you know, pagans, I don't know. You have Christians sometimes that, like... I think that there's somewhat of a right heart in that they're like, Hey, I want people to know the truth of Christ. But sometimes it comes off in how they talk to them of, like, I just want to win an argument. Right. And make them look stupid. And no, that's not what you want to do. You actually just want to point them to repentance. And that should be your goal. Like evangel mm-hmm. uh, like evangelism and apologetics should not be separate things. They should be in tandem. Yeah. Um, you're and like maybe you're not gonna go, you know, swing for the fences, you know, five minutes into your conversation. Sometimes I feel like my biggest thing is like let the conversation go where it naturally goes. Don't like force it. Um, and to what Becca was saying, like asking regu- like just asking questions and being inquisitive. Cause I think that sometimes in ask, well, when you ask them questions, then they start asking you questions. And I think like the biggest thing is like not being defensive. Cause I think if you start getting really defensive and starting getting aggressive, they're probably going to double down. Um, yeah. and that's just with anybody. I think if you show a, some humility, I mean, not to say that you go them go to them and being like, well, maybe maybe you're right, and maybe aren't maybe I'm right, or maybe we're both wrong. But no, that's not what we're saying. We have certainty in Christ, but um, but basically going to them and being like, like you know, tell me what you believe instead of assuming mm-hmm. what they believe, and and being like, have you ever considered this? Like, and just like telling them like your honest heart of like, hey, I I'm concerned, like you know. Paul talks about, you know, like you people following a false Christ and a Christ that wants saved. And I'm just concerned for you as my friend. Like, I want you to know the true and living God. And I want you to experience the yoke that is easy yes. that Christ gives. And I think so. that's my biggest advice for talking to Mormons is just being like being inquisitive, being humble, um, knowing the biggest thing that you can. I think that this is just with any when you're talking to anybody with any worldview, a Christian with a like in a a Christian with a Bible in his hand knows more than anybody. Like they know, like, and that sounds very like cocky, but it's just that's that's truth. God's word is the ultimate authority. If you have a Bible, you're you're good. Like you don't need to read a bunch of these books. Like I mean, I think books are important. Like resources are important, but like as long as you have a Bible in your hand, like. Just read your Bible. <laughs> I, if, if you do want more resources, because obviously we can't cover everything in just two episodes. Um, 
there are plenty out there like david mentioned apologia church apologia studios they are huge on ministering to mormons um james white uh, and jeff durbin are primarily the people who speak out on that and same with their um kind of sub uh podcast because there's an apology a podcast there's like a sub podcast called cultish they talk about mormonism a lot and just how to talk to mormons how to respond to certain things and just um just handling them with it kind of gives at least for me it gives me a better understanding because i mean in my i, I don't know not in my experience but just from what i've heard at least it's like it's it's really hard it's really hard on the person to leave the church even if you say something that really resonates with them and they agree with they're not gonna jump to be like oh yeah okay you got me i believe you now i'm not a mormon anymore because it's 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 really deep in them so i don't know that's that that podcast has really helped me understand a lot more just the depth of like how deep this goes for people and so that's another encouragement I want to say too. Like just because if you talk to a Mormon or an LDS, a Latter Day Saint, and you um feel like it didn't go super well, they just weren't per- like receptive. Yeah, just don't don't stop there. You know, don't be discouraged because you never know what's going on behind, you know, behind their eyes. Like you never know what they're thinking about. And um, just be open to letting God use you, and just just keep at it. Yeah, another. I I totally think you're you're super spot on. Um, a lot of times, and sadly, a lot of Mormons that leave the church, they leave for learning about church history. But a lot of times, they leave and become atheistic or agnostic, which is really sad. So I think that really presenting the true gospel to them is very important, yep. and that they have a misunderstanding of like in a weird way. Sometimes they even in leaving the the church, they still believe in the great apostasy. So they don't really even consider biblical Christianity. So I think like explaining to them that like, no, like this is the true gospel. This is actually the true gospel that has been here since the beginning and mm-hmm. praying that they would receive that. Um, in, ter- in terms of resources, what she said, Apologia, uh, super good. Uh, James White has a book called Letters to a Mormon Elder, which is really good. Uh, it's literally like he's writing to a Mormon missionary. Uh, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very good. She mentioned the other book earlier. Uh, it's called Introducing Christianity to Mormons, A Practical Comparative Guide to What the Bible Teaches. Um, and it's by Eric Johnson. It's very good. Uh, and then I would also say uh, Hello Saints is really good. I feel like he's a pastor. He's a Christian pastor who just really tries to examine um Mormon teachings and he's pretty he's very humble about it um I I think it's really I like watching his videos because I feel like a lot of times like he's he does videos of like oh pastor reads third Nephi and it'll just like read through it and just highlight parts of it so you get a really good understanding like overview of the Book of Mormon um those would probably be like a lot of the resources that I would say yep just one more from my end uh, one that kind of helped me in preparing for this episode too is it's called um, World Cults and Religions, Counterfeits of Christianity. And it's edited by Bodie Hodge and Roger Patterson. And that's kind of, it's that's really about not just the Mormon church, but they go into a lot of different beliefs. So if that's something you're interested in, um, I think he does, a, they, that book does a really good job at representing each belief pretty accurately and respectfully. So, Yeah, I think like that's pretty much like 
all that I have to say. Do you have anything that you want to say, Becca? Um, I think just for now, like just at least for the sake of time, I think we gotta stop. <laughs> we gotta stop. But yeah, I mean, just again, don't be discouraged. Keep be nice to your Mormon missionaries. They get so many doors slammed in their face, and it just you know, um, just remember. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're called to just preach the gospel. So if, if nothing else, just um, point them to Jesus. That's all I'd say. Amen. Yeah, I'd say that. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, come back next time and continue to know and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And until we see you next time, bye. Bye.